Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Hawkins, joined by my friend and co-host Tamarcus Raglan, and today we're really excited to have a conversation with pastor and author Isaac Adams about his book, Talking About Race. Here at Culture Matters, we believe that God loves all without showing partiality to any. We believe that the gospel is the answer to racial strife and that as Christians, we have to be able to have difficult conversations about race if we ever hope to be unified under the banner of King Jesus. Today, we get to discuss Pastor Isaac Adams' book, Talking About Race, which shows us how to do just that. Pastor Isaac, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for writing this book. Uh, Thank you for taking time, man. Amen. Thank you for having me, fellas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Typically, to show you honor, we uh, introduce you, but we've actually found it more interesting to have guests introduce themselves lately because Mm -hmm. they say (laughs) interesting things and, you know, what they Uh, choose to highlight and not highlight is uh, always interesting. So tell us a little bit about, about yourself. Oh, man. Wow. That, uh, let's see. Uh, I'm pastor now in Birmingham, Alabama, where I never thought I'd live. Uh, <laughs> I'm married to a woman who I don't deserve. Mm. I have three kids who look like little balls of peanut butter on wheels. <laughs> uh, and I'm the founder of a ministry called United We Pray, which is devoted to praying about the the issues that we're going to be talking about. So that's at uwepray.com, the letter U-W-E-P-R-A-Y.com for folks who are looking for something devoted to prayer and helping Christians think more biblically, helpfully, hopefully, and clearly about race and racism. Love that. And you have a podcast, by the way, called United We Pray, right? Yes, yes. yes. So that you, yes, that would be the the home of United We Pray. Thank you for that. Assist, yes, Adam. absolutely. And so check it out if you're uh, if you like what you hear today. Please get the book. Absolutely get the book. We highly recommend it. And then also check out the podcast because there's a lot more information there for sure. Um, Isaac, first off, uh, this book was it blessed me, man. Um, mm. Getting before I came even on staff here uh, at our church, um, I was uh, working at a local uh, Christian school in our area, and one of my roles there was um, facilitating conversations on um, racial unity and diversity, not just even surrounding race, mm. but uh, just with gender, socioeconomic status, age, ability, mm. et cetera. And uh, what was so refreshing about this book um, is it reminded me so much of uh, what we wanted out of that program, like you just mm. like you accomplished so much of it here of giving real life like applicable situations, the questions appointed, um, the added bonus of how you walked people through the piece. Like it just there were so many layers to how you were able to um, craft this. My my first question really was what um, what kind of inspired you to uh, lay out the book the way you did? Um, maybe for those who who want to pick it up. Cause it's not just, you know, just your typical read through like it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny, man. I did not set out with this, with this idea. Um, uh, and I, I, I keep getting this kind of feedback and people are like, this is, I feel like I'm at a party and I have a drink and I'm not sure what I'm drinking, but I like it. Right. <laughs> it's, like, it's like this weird blend. I suppose it's own animal. Um, 
Yeah, you're exactly right. Basically, what we have is kind of parable, then pastoral application, right? Pastoral mm-hmm. kind of counseling session, as I call it. Um, and why Why I remember I was working, I, I've been kicking around a book on race for many, for a lot of years now. And I was, I remember I had lunch with the BD once and I was talking about, I was like, Hey, I think I'm thinking about writing this and it's going to appeal to kind of, you know, conservatives over here and uh, this crowd over here. And he just stopped me. He's like, bro, don't don't use those labels. Don't mm-hmm. like give me Mike and give me Mark. And mm-hmm. this is what Mike believes. And this is how, you know, his anxieties in life. And this is, uh, you know, Mark's stress and give me Tim and give me Tom. And what it what that showed me is that all of us are more than our racial views. Mm-hmm. We're people. We're made in the image of God. And so we're more complex than people can't be reduced to their political ideologies, whatever they may be, their racial perspectives. There's more going on inside of us than that. And so I and that's what we and that's part of the reason these things are so hard to talk about. And so I wanted to give something that actually captured the huge amount of gray in this conversation and fiction. And there were just some things I needed to say that I I don't own, but need to be said. Mm. And so a story allowed me to do that. And the last thing I would say, man, is stories are powerful. I mean, you look at the ministry of our Lord Jesus. He so often he was speaking in parables. You turn to second Samuel 12. What is Nathan come at David with, but a story. Mm. And David is so deep into the story. He doesn't even realize he's the bad guy Mm. until the end. Nathan's like, Hey, by the way, you're the man. Mm. And, you know, and we see Psalm 51 as a fruit of that. And so whether it be, you know, Jesus, the prophets, you know, even, you know, Elizabeth Wilkerson, you know, warmth of other suns yes. is what what it is. Five hundred pages, but it reads so beautifully and so easily because she uses the the power of story through these yeah. three kind of biographical sketches, and so I thought that would serve me well. And it's truly the last thing I'll say about this. It's funny I sent out like kind of manuscripts of the book to folks who agreed with me and folks who don't. Um, and I thought kind of the second half of the book, which is more kind of didactic, straightforward stuff, right. was the real gold. Uh, and all of them came back and said, hey, second half of the book, it's nice and well. It's the story where you get me. Mm. And so I, you know, I said, well, let's let's run with this then. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, um, you know, maybe to to anchor some of the listeners who haven't read the book yet, just, um, you know, you talk about the elevator pitch in there, but maybe give the elevator pitch for the book. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I would say talking about race uh, is a pastoral invitation to the race conversation through the means of parable story and encouragement. Mm. That's a pitch I've never given before, but I think it works. It does. Um, uh, and really, what a couple elements to that. One, I'm trying to give a pastoral voice to this conversation. The race conversation has lots of prophets, and I'm thankful for that. I think some are better than others. Um, and pastors are to speak prophetically, but the race conversation has lots of prophets, and I fear few pastors. Mm. And I think if all of us spoke more like pastors, and you brothers understand this, mm. uh, we'd be in much better shape. Uh, And I'd say uh, spoke more like godly pastors. Uh, And so I'm trying to, I I try through uh, the lens of telling a kind of fictional narrative that I hope kind of haunts us because it's so uh, familiar. Yeah. 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 Familiar. Yeah. Tragically familiar. uh, The shooting of, an unarmed black man. Um, and then I just give five different perspectives on it. So you've got your 
kind of uh, not exactly middle aged, but white conservative, sympathetic, but kind of confused, kind of ignorant brother. Uh, you've got your black brother who's in a predominantly white context. So to Marcus, I have to assume that's kind of what you're in. <laughs> uh, and he's tired. You've got your, uh, wo- for lack of a better term, I don't love this term, but you got your woke white girl mm-hmm. who is ready to burn the church down because she understands it to be a bastion of white supremacy. You've got uh, her sister who is hyper conservative. You've got an Asian girl who who wishes the conversation was more than just black or white, even though she respects that conversation. But mm-hmm. she's like... I think there's more going on than just the black and white conversation. And last and certainly least, you have their pastor in the middle of all this and just trying to keep the ship together. Mm-hmm. And so I go with each character. I try to highlight evidences of grace in their life and in their perspective and evidences of like, hey, I think you should be challenged in this area to think a bit more, speak a bit differently or not speak at all. Yeah, I think man, just to give you kudos on that again there's there's a way in which you can do that that feels kind of like straw manny mm-hmm. right where it's kind of like you're mm-hmm. like oh that's not how that's gonna happen but like every <clears throat> even from yeah every character that you lay out even from like where they're like backstory into getting to the conversation yeah it felt like oh i know like i know this part like people in my life's like faces were mm-hmm. popping up where i was like this wasn't mm-hmm. this wasn't just like a fi- you've it was evident that you've had real life experience um yeah. and in dealing with that um even from the perspective of as a of a pastor and so that that really shined through yeah i mm. it was the the first part of the book like you're talking about um f- for those uh who are unfamiliar you don't just like do the thing that it would be easy to do which is you know clickbaity or like you know super controversial right off the bat like hey let's talk about CRT or something like that right you kind of right. take the time to write this fictional account that will be very familiar and then to take these perspectives. But here's what I love. And I think it's important to say is like, as you wrote them, I felt like you were sympathetic to all of them, meaning there's not a clear bad guy. You know, it's like, I think part of the divisiveness of our age is to uh, paint, like you said earlier, people with really broad brushes, they're redu- maybe overly reductionistic would be the better way of putting it, reductionistic to you know reduce you to your ideology or your political stance or whatever. And instead, it's like the stories are so human. I was, we were talking about this, actually, we were recommending the book to our staff today, and we were talking about how human every interaction is. It's like, what's true is nobody, like, I'm going to say normal. I don't mean it that way, but like no everyday person gets like the chance to sort of academically think through everything going on when these tragic events happen in a vacuum, you know, like I don't Mm -hmm. get to like sit in my study and for four hours kind of Mm -hmm. ponder. It's like each one of these characters that you're showing, it's like this guy's struggling. He's struggling with how to relate to his friend. And then his kid interrupts him or he's got Mm -hmm. something to do with his Mm -hmm. wife or, and every character, that's what happens. That's it. Like that. Yeah. And so just if I can hop in. Yeah, on that, yeah, please. And I appreciate that encouragement. Uh, two things. Number one, it's it's funny. I, I knew God was being gracious to me uh, when, again, I sent out the, the book for review and I had someone respond to me. There's uh, Jonathan Lehman over at Nine Marks. And he said, uh, he's reading this chapter. And he's like, it's not clear to me who the villain is. And I think he meant that as like, you need to make it clear. Right, right. And I was like, oh, yes, that is exactly <laughs> what I want. Because right. truth be told, we're all the bad guy right. in the mm. story. And Jesus is the hero. Man. Uh, but more than that, it's just, you know, it's not actually that person on the other side of the aisle 
I disagree with one point, you know, points one and two that they say. I think point three is reprehensible, but point four and five are actually pretty decent points they're making mm. that I should consider. And, you know, I can either just reject them as a white supremacist altogether and learn nothing of their perspective and we'll grow no closer together. Or I can take points four and five and say, you know what, that's useful for me and that's challenging. And the last thing I'll say on that is Second Timothy 2.24 is super clear. The Lord's servant must be kind to everyone. Mm. Everyone. That does not come with an asterisk that says everyone who happens to agree with my racial perspective. No, we have to be kind to everyone. So in, in saying, uh, you know, I, I just appreciate and I'm thankful for that feedback that I was sympathetic because I was at least trying to be like, dude, I think this perspective is jacked, but it's a legitimate perspective. Someone can actually hold it and still be bought by the blood of Christ yes. and actually even still be pretty godly. And so we just got to wrestle with that honest fact rather than just treating them like we treat people on Twitter and they're dumb. And if they just open their eyes, they'd see all this. And yeah, I I think what's so brilliant, the book is called Talking About Race. And what's so brilliant is what you and you just said it right there. You actually show us in an age that does not know how to talk to each other anymore. I mean, I I know that's a strong statement, but, you know, we talk a lot about social media on here. We talk a lot about we have been backed into our corners. We get the, you know, the the 140 character of Twitter soundbite. It's easier to paint somebody as an enemy. And what you're really doing is you're saying, okay, brothers and sisters who have been united by the blood of Christ, this, this is a really big issue. It's a, it's a, it's sad. There's sin and we're going to, we're going to be biblical about it. Um, uh, and so we need to figure if you can't have this conversation in the church, where can you have it? And so then you, you show us the way forward, which you just did this idea of kindness, this idea of seeing the other person, this idea of, Hey, I may disagree with you, but I'm not going to do the ad hominem attack and just call you a name and dismiss you, but I'm going to try to, to fight for clarity and dig. And so maybe the question I have that comes out of this is in your research, as you're writing the book, in your life experience, obviously, what do you think the biggest impediment to Christians? What do you think is the biggest impediment to Christians talking about race or having racial conversations? Yeah, man, I saw that. Like y'all were kind to send me the questions ahead of time. I was like, oh boy, Um, because here's the deal. Uh, So the fundamental question, maybe this is a different kind of elevator pitch. That's great. Fundamental question I'm answering the book is why is it so hard for Christians to talk about American Christians, Christians in America, to talk about race with each other, right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And so in setting out to answer a question that asked why, I saw that there were lots of different answers, surely some of them bigger or badder than others, but still these factors all, when when they coalesce, when they compound on each other, they make it really difficult. So, of course, the Christian answer is sin, uh, but that sounds like a Sunday school answer, not super satisfying. But James says, you know, y'all have, why do y'all have quarrel and beef with each other? Because y'all got sin. Mm. Your passions are at war within you. But James doesn't stop there. He goes on to name other pastoral concerns. You know, these workers are being oppressed in the field and their blood is crying out. So he goes, James James is not shy about bringing up legitimate things that have happened in this context that are unjust and wrong and oppressive. Right. And so anyway, to answer your question, 
I'll try to, I try to give lots of reasons why, uh, because, you know, the biggest reason for you, Adam, might be a different reason than Ty's biggest reason, right? right? Ty's biggest reason for not talking about this might be he's, he's tired of having to explain himself to a community that in theory welcomes him, but on this, they are so antagonistic. It's not even funny. And it's super discouraging. Mm. Your biggest reason might be legitimate fear, Mm. just fear, a fear that I'm going to hurt Ty, fear that I'm going to say something wrong, fear that I'm going to be labeled a racist, whatever it may be. We can talk about whether or not that fear is justified, but it's there. And Satan gets in those crevices of suspicion and he turns those into canyons in Mm. the church. Yeah, And he Mm. will exploit that fear all day long. And he will just say, you know what, Adam, don't say what you really think. Just come to church, uh, wear a mask, you know, metaphorically speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should we should talk later about the title of the book. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, but, uh, <laughs> wear a mask. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Let's talk about that. Uh, wear a mask. Metaphorically speaking, the church will just be a masquerade ball. Y'all don't really have to know each other. Don't really have to like each other. Just play Christian and go home. And Satan would be pleased with that. And the world will see nothing of what Jesus is actually like, nothing of how strong his gospel actually is. And I just refuse to believe that the world can figure out this conversation, but those who are indwelt by the spirit of God can't. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I don't even know what question I'm answering anymore, but um, uh, so in terms yeah. of in terms of what what are the biggest impediments? Fear, legitimate fear in many cases. Um, ignorance is a huge one. I mean, the fact that our society, you know, I'm smiling just seeing you two brothers host this podcast. Um, but the fact is, you know, by default, so many of our communities are segregated. We just don't know. Yeah. how another community operates, what they've been through historically. Uh, you know, race is a painful topic. It's not a painful topic for everyone. So some people can treat it pretty abstractly. That hurts people. Fear, ignorance. And the last one I'll throw out is just, we just have not thought well about it. Mm. Just generally, so many Christians I find just have not spent much time thinking about this issue. And I think if we just love the Lord with all our strength, heart, soul, and minds on this topic, we'd have very different conversations because thinking requires listening, it requires reading, it requires learning history, all these different things um, that, frankly, the speed of our Twitter world uh, discourage. Mm. And so it makes it really tough to talk about really painful things. It's a really important concept that you weave throughout the the book and you talked about it just now the mask um what's mm. interesting is um so that that poem is gold i was um mm. the, the poem that's referenced at the beginning you gotta pick up the book check it out um but first thing that came to mind when i i thought about it the the fujis have a, a song on their you know one mm. solo track of uh, the mask and they kind of reference this and i've always heard like that concept from a minority perspective. But what's interesting mm. is you weave it into like, not only is there a minority mask, there's a majority mask. Um, mm-hmm. And there is, there's a way that we can all kind of move about and walk through where we're, uh, we're not bringing that, that full self or that full conversation or that full openness um, uh, to this, to this conversation that can impede that true community, as you just alluded to. Um, I guess maybe, yeah, part of, uh, part of me was wondering how did, what what led you to kind of incorporate? Because I think it goes back to how sympathetic 
um, you were in so much of it as you uh, talk through all of the different characters. What what kind of caused you to weave that concept of the mask um, through the, through the book? Man, that's a great question. I'll answer it only if you let me encourage you guys, which is to say, <laughs> I've been I've had tons of interviews, and you can tell which ones the dudes. You know, the interviewer has not read the book and you guys have clearly (laughs) read the book and you're getting such a better interview because of it. So well done, brother. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, the mask. Yeah. Um, Here's the deal. So when I was like really kicking around the idea of writing on, on this issue, uh, Alton, oh my goodness, um, Ahmaud Arbery. And I mean, goodness, there's so many examples that yeah. I get names confused. Ahmaud Arbery was gunned down and now I can say murdered. And Sterling K. Brown, dude from This Is Us, went live on Facebook. And this is right at the outbreak of COVID. And he, he went for a run. If you know Arbery's case, you know why that's pertinent. And he talked about how as an African-American in white context, often he felt like he had to wear a mask all the time, albeit invisible. And um, that just so resonated with me because exactly, yeah, the Fugees or Paul Lawrence Dunbar who writes this poem called We Wear the Mask and whatever it is, you know, I'll look it up real quick. Uh, 1896, right? So here we have 100 years ago, this same experience being talked about by minorities. And I thought, you know what? As a pastor, though, it was clear to me that the people who come through my door who look like Adam, they were also wearing masks. Now, they might not be wearing them for equally good reasons or with equal amounts of difficulty, but the very you know front they put up of like, I have no questions and I have no thoughts about this or no hesitancies about the stuff you're talking about. I'll just pretend. Uh, and woe is me because I'm white and you must be right because you're not. And so that's a mask. It's a sham. They don't really think that. And so... Um, Originally, I wanted to call the book, We Wear the Mask, mm. and then COVID happened. And the, and the <laughs> yeah, publisher no. was like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's just work. not going to work. Uh, and he was right. And so, but I think what we see in this is often, you know, this is the beauty of diversity, uh, is that we learn from each other. And there's so much you learn from how God and his wisdom and sovereignty from the sufferings of African-Americans in the African-American church throughout the tradition of uh, the evangelicalism and just Protestantism in America from African-Americans who you just learn a lot about suffering from them. Why? Because they suffered acutely in the most in, in certain regards. And so what you learn about prayer, I mean, you learn so much. I mean, Francis Grimke, you know, this African-American 19th century pastor, he's quoting the prayers of slaves from the cotton field. I I mean, you just learn so much from that. Mm. And so likewise, uh, looking at this, you know, minority experience in the race conversation, I think we all learn something about how we all function. Uh, Because it actually, ironically, is a pretty unifying thing. What Paul says, no temptation has faced you except what's common to man. Mm. So we all have a temptation to wear these masks. They're different masks, 
but we wear them nonetheless. Yeah. And we've got to learn how to drop those masks if we're going to have some honest and real conversations. That's beautiful. There's a million things I want to ask you, but staying on the topic of the masks, and maybe we're jumping a little bit practical a little bit early because there's more questions we could, we should ask. But um, you address this and you address it in your encouragement, but just asking while we're on topic, how do we how do we take off the masks? You, you mentioned mm. a minute ago, um, you know, the impediments, the mask we wear, you know, Mm -hmm. somebody's wearing a mask because they're afraid. Somebody's wearing a mask because they're ignorant and they're actually aware they're ignorant and they don't know what to say. Somebody's wearing a mask because they're tired or frustrated or whatever it might be. Those are real reasons to, to put a mask on, right? Like I'm not Mm -hmm. saying they're good. I'm not saying ultimately we want to wear masks. I'm just saying it's legitimate. uh, I think was Mm -hmm. the way you put it. You know, maybe it's not safe in every situation to take a mask off. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe that's what we're fighting for. But, but I guess my question is, yeah, how do we? How would you advise that we start taking these masks off and having real conversations with one another? That's such a good question, man. Someone is going to have to come to the table mm. humbly and vulnerably. Yeah. So. A way to kind of rephrase your question, a short way to answer your question. If you're asking, is there a way to do it that's safe and risk-free all the time? The answer is no. Yeah. Someone will have to expose themselves to risk and personal injury. Mm. And you know what? That sounds a whole like a whole lot like love, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, like that's what C.S. Lewis says. He's like, yeah, if you never want to get hurt, don't ever love anybody. Right? Because so, uh, so someone is going to have to come to the conversation and be like as humbly as they can. But man, like humility, it is amazing the way pride can stop a conversation Mm. and the way humility can start one. Mm. Humility is like a superpower in the Christian life. I mean, if you just, if someone comes and says, listen, I am terrified to say this. I, I, I don't even know how to say this but I love you. And I, I genuinely am trying my best. Will you please just hear me out on this? I just, what Christian is going to say no to that. Mm. And if someone comes in, in tears and just like, look, I don't even know if I'm right, but what you said was really hard for me for this reason. You might not know this. This is my history on this, you know? So what I would sum it up is the way to take the mask is to explain dreams, hopes, and fears. Rather than let's talk about these 15 diagnostic abstract tenets of CRT and the ways I think you're unwittingly espousing them uh, or propagating them. Uh, One of those kind of conversations puts people on their heels and makes them defensive, Mm. you know, or if someone comes at you with a lot of anger, Proverbs can be clear, a harsh word stirs up anger, Mm. but a soft answer turns away wrath. Mm. And so what we want is to be soft and humble in conversation and say, brother, I just don't understand. Sister, I just don't understand. And that, you'd be shocked, man, will change the entire flavor of the conversation. Mm -hmm. That's so helpful. And you touched on something, you said something about, I want our church to do X, Y, Z in terms of dreams. Mm -hmm. And um, we've been, our church in particular, but I think a lot of churches are, they, they want at least if they were to put their aspirations out there, they they want to fight for this idea of uh, racial unity, 
used to be mm-hmm. racial reconciliation. All the it's you know the language is changing, but the idea of saying yeah. we we believe in uh, the church that God talks about that is free from partiality, that is yeah. um, that that is diverse. And we talked a little bit about it last time to say, man, you know, maybe it's not, maybe diversity doesn't need to be the goal. Maybe the fact that you just talk about this, right? If you live in mm. suburbia and, you know, your neighborhood isn't necessarily that diverse, um, maybe the goal isn't to try to have a 50-50 diverse, mm. uh, you know, congregation, because that's not going to happen because of where you live. So maybe something else is going on, you know, or maybe there's something else churches can do. Um, and so I guess that's what I want to put to you. What's what do we do? How do we enter into, you know, I think we're, we're coming back to it, right? Midterms are about to be up. Then there's going to be another mm-hmm. contentious election mm-hmm. in the next couple of years. And we all remember what yeah. that was like a few years ago. And mm-hmm. how, do we, how do we avoid the politics, see people, and love each other like Christ uh, uh, loves us. How do we do this? How Man, do we I do thought this you were going to give me a Baptist alliteration. Man, I... How do we ignore <laughs> the politics, <laughs> see people... <laughs> And progress positively. Something I was like, there oh, it, it is. Got it. There it, got it. it. This is there it is. <laughs> there it is. Man. Oh, that's great. Uh, <laughs> it's always the third point too. You can, the second one always comes. Right. It's yep, like, right. Oh, I got the alliteration. And <laughs> Break the, out the, the, the source. <laughs> that's right, man. It's a great. It's a great question, man. Because you're right. We're in a. We're in a time. I don't know if it's more kind of peace or ceasefire mm-hmm. of like, okay, we're all just recovering from 2020. Still, yeah, yeah. Right. And we're just, we're just trying to make it. Yep. Um, but, you know, and things are running around the corner and then, you know, now we're having this conversation with uh, about Roe v. Wade mm. and, you know, all of these things happening, Katanji Jackson being mm. put on the, so it's, you know, we can see it broiling, yet again. Uh, and you're right. I mean, um, different churches are going to have different responses, right? So there's, there's a few things I lay out that I won't rehash here, but if folks are curious, if you're looking for kind of a plan of action, I'd look to the, to the pastor's chapter specifically for things you can be doing, um, which is like holding, holding the gospel central, making space for differences that are not the gospel. Mm. And so, you know, so often we act as if to be a faithful Christian, you must agree with me on X or Y or Z that scripture doesn't explicitly talk about. And you pastor have a job of maintaining that line to say, someone can be a faithful Christian and disagree with you on that point. Mm. And whatever side does not like to hear that. Right. Um, And there's a great, you know, it's just such a it's such a subtle slip that happens that says, you know, um, I, I forget all the steps, but basically it, it goes. It's just not a far step to say, hey, here's what I think about X or Y. Here's what all Christians should think about X <laughs> or Y. You are not a Christian if you do not think X or Y. Right. And it's just yeah. this slow math, slow, but very quick at the same time, small steps we take. So you want to make spaces, uh, you want to make space in your church because that's the actual diversity that's allowed. Mm. And here's what I would say, if you're going to have that kind of diversity, it necessarily means you will have the kind of contention we were just talking about. Mm. I think a lot of pastors and churches get discouraged when they have the kind of, you know, the, the, the horns locking in their church. And I'm like, hold on, 
that's actually a sign of life in your church. That actually means you have different of opinion yep. in your church. Mm. And that's a healthy thing. So rather than just be super discouraged about that pastor, I wish we just had peace. I know what you mean. Uh, intention is really, you know, not fun to lead through, but praise God for that. Because if your church never disagreed about anything, it's like, it might mean because we're all the same and it doesn't mm. really, we might even be in this room without Jesus because mm. we all just like the same stuff and we make the same money and, you know, we, we play on the same soccer team. So I want to be slow to just look at tension as a bad thing in that sense. Um, I'll throw out one more thing. It's so simple uh, as to be embarrassing. Uh, but I think the lack of it is an indictment on us. You can pray about it a whole ton. Mm. You can start praying about it a whole ton. Church, we're going to have a prayer meeting next week. Midterms are in two years, and we're not going to be caught flat-footed about it, so we're going to start praying about it right now. Mm-hmm. And you can just have your members pray lots of good and different things. Lord, we pray in two years we wouldn't hate each other. <laughs> Amen. So Amen. that when two years comes, like, hey, hey, sister, you, you sent me that email. Remember, remember, we prayed about this. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I just find mm-hmm. that so often we want to do rather than ask. Mm. And hear me, I'm not saying there's not things to do. There's not, you know, things to be equipped on. There's not books to read. Like I wrote a book. I would love people to read it. (laughs) But what I'm saying, what I'm saying is that as we stand at the foot of this Mount Everest of racial strife, Jesus was very clear what to do about mountains. Ask me Mm. and you can move it. Mm. But uh, you can't move it without asking. So often we just, we like run up to the foot of the mountain and just start pushing. And again, I'm all for that, but I'm not for prayerless pushing. And I think, Mm. um, you know, who was it? Was it Rutherford? He said, Satan fears nothing of prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless racial reconciliation efforts. But when we pray, he trembles Mm. uh, because we're actually tapping into the power that can truly help us. So those are just some baby steps I would I would take I would give and some basics. And I fear a lot of people think they've graduated from the basics in this conversation when really they haven't. So I'll leave that sermon there. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it's so true. And so just to wrap up um, what we what we just heard was keep the gospel central, allow room for disagreement on things that aren't the gospel uh, and pray. And um, it seems like a simplistic formula, but it seems like one we often leave behind. And so uh, thank you for that encouragement, uh, Pastor Isaac. Thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for leading your church faithfully in many ways beyond just the racial conversation, right? You do a whole lot. This is one conversation, an important one, but we're thankful for you and we're thankful for your work, brother. Yeah. Grateful for you, brothers. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. This podcast is made possible because of a team of people behind the scenes. Chris Starrett, Chelsea Conway, Mandy Page, and Brad Weigel. We couldn't do it without them. If you're a follower of the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can message us on social. You can also support us on our patron page. Check the show notes for more information. See you next time.